preacher if you, if you do that. If God's talking to you and you think, oh, that's a good point, then whatever, you do that. You actually, you do draw more out of the preacher. So, you know. I'm thinking, I'm looking a bit, I'm looking a bit brown, actually, I think. No, no he's, yeah, if, if, yes. If you weren't here last week, please listen to the podcast. That would explain why he just said that. You do get yourself into a lot of trouble. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read a parable that Jesus taught. I'm going to read it in two Gospels because it is recorded twice. And it's from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will fall with a mighty crash. And then the same parable in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. So why do you call me Lord when you won't obey me? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then obeys me. It's like a person who builds a house on a strong foundation laid upon the underlying rock. When the water floods rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who listens and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house with a foundation, without a foundation, beg your pardon. And when the flood sweeps down against the house, it will crumble into a heap of ruins. The rock is clearly the best place to build a house. And Jesus was not giving a a lesson to would-be property developers. He was giving a story which illustrates a very good principle for people's lives. He was teaching them in a way that they could picture in their minds and then understand and hopefully put it into practice. Jesus was using this parable to tell us that our lives, our lives, not just our houses, but our lives need to be built on a solid foundation. And Peter made this discovery for himself in Matthew chapter 16, which I'm going to read in my new Bible, the Passion Version, translation it says. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 13 to 18. This is what Peter, Peter discovered. When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. What are the people saying about me, the the Son of Man? What do they believe I am? Who do they believe I am? They answered, some are convinced that you are John the baptizer. Others say that you are Elijah, reincarnated, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter spoke up and said, You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are favoured and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone. And this truth of who I am 
will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly, which is ecclesia, if you were here when Ian Green was talking, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Peter made the discovery of who Jesus was. He was the rock. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the promised one. He was the Lord. The truth of who Jesus was, Jesus then said, well done, lad. You didn't get that of your own brain. God's obviously been revealing it to you. The truth of who I am is the bedrock and the foundation of the whole church. Now, some, like the Catholics, have said, oh, Peter is the bedrock. Jesus said, I will build my church on, on, on the rock. And he called Peter a stone, actually. But it isn't. It's the truth of who Jesus was. It wasn't a person as a disciple. It was the truth of who Jesus was. That's the truth discovered and declared by Peter, the truth of who Jesus is. That is the bedrock and the foundation that Jesus was going to build his church on. And in Samuel 2, 1 Samuel 2 verse 2, there's this verse, no one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. So Jesus is the rock, both for individuals to have their faith and build their lives on, but he is also the rock, and the truth about him is the rock and the foundation that the whole church, the group gathered together of believers, is also built on. But you know, even though that is the truth, Jesus is the rock, there are some people that use that rock and Jesus in different ways. And I've thought of three. This is the first one. It will come up on there. This is a guy clinging to a rock. I call these people rock clingers. People that cling on to Jesus in times of crisis. When there's trouble in their lives, when they're in fear of their own mental health or their physical health or their financial health or relational health or just in a mess, they reach out and they grab the rock of Jesus. And bless him, Jesus' grace usually means that he will hear the cry of those people he will offer his help, and if you accept his help, he will rescue you. Isn't he good like that? Ever, anyone ever been rescued by Jesus? <laughs> Great, yeah, he's, he's good like that. But you know what? These, I call them rock clingers. Once their life is back on track, and they think they've got a handle on it now, it's okay, the crisis is over, the storm is past, it's okay, it's okay Jesus, I can handle from here now, thanks. Thank you very much. You got me out of that mess. Thank you very much. You were the rock I needed at that time. But I am taking back control of my life now. I think um, I'll live my life as I see fit. And people do that until the next time they're in a crisis and they come reaching out for the rock. And God, I don't know about in your life, but God's done that for me several times in my life. And his grace means that he will keep on doing it. But you know what? The danger of this is that your life is just traumatic. 
is a series of getting into trouble, doing things your own way, that messing up, reaching out to Jesus, getting rescued by Jesus. Oh, thank goodness that's all over. Not learning to actually stay with the rock, but let go of him again until the next mess. And then you reach out for him again. And that's not a very pleasant way to live your life. A series of traumatic things where it's episodes of stress, anxiety, regret and fear. And also, thanks. And also, some storms come and just, some storms are so big in your life, some storms just come and completely wipe you out, don't they? You don't know what's up, what's down, what's sideways, what's right, what's wrong, where to go, whatever. And so so people that live their lives as rock clingers to Jesus, sometimes storms are so big and so messy and so horrible, they can't even know which way is up and which way the rock is. Yeah? And they don't even know how to reach out to Jesus. That is a very dangerous place to be. Do you know, people I have known who are rock clingers have used Jesus as as a, a rock to just cling on in times of trouble have either lost sight of the rock completely and have no relationship with God now, or they came to their senses and said, this is no way to treat Jesus, to run my life. I've got to change my attitude. So, rock clingers. The second thing that people can do with Jesus is the next picture. Is rock tetherers. Okay? They kind of loosely tie themselves to Jesus. This way, you can mainly do what you want to do with your life because you've got a long enough rope. You can, it's, it's, it's tethered to Jesus. It's okay. I know where he is and I know what he stands for and I know what the Bible says and I know what he teaches. Yep, got that. Tethered to that. I understand that. And they've got their little rope and they do their own life, whatever, away from the rock, but they're tethered to it. And in times of trouble for them, They've got the rope, so then they pull on it because they know where the rock is. They know where that help is to be found. They know where the person who's got the power to sort the mess out. They know where forgiveness is to be found. And they pull themselves back, back to the rock in order to get themselves sorted out again. But when the storm is over, what do they do? Make sure they've still got the rope tethered to the rock and they push themselves out again, thinking, well, that's good. I, I, I've got this now. That crisis is over. I can sort this, God. It's okay. But you know what I've seen in people's lives that are tetherers? The rope gets longer and longer because they think, oh, yeah, I, I, I know where he is. That's cool. Yeah, I, I even go to church sometimes and speak to him. I might even read his Bible. Yeah, I know where he is, but... It gets longer and longer because they can do what they like and run their lives because they're not too close for Jesus to tell them that actually that's, that's not what you should be doing. So, and some people do that and their rope is so long, when the storm comes again, and again it might be a crisis storm, it's taken them so long to get back to Jesus, the storm wipes them out. And those people sometimes have got such a long rope that they're used to being not with and standing on Jesus. They're used to being away from him. Some of them don't even realize that the rope has got detached from the rock. And when those storms come, then they realize, goodness, I'm on my own. 
and I don't know what to do. And I've seen people in, in, in my life, I've known people who've used Jesus like this, tethered to the rock. And even though God's given them some really good stuff, they still just tethered and go off and do what they want. I've seen people use good jobs that God has given them to rob them of their relationship with God. I've seen people who God has given them a relationship they've always wanted to rob them of their relationship with God because what they're wanting has become more important than the person who gave it to them. Their perspective changes, their foundation changes. They're they're looking at the wrong thing. The wrong thing is at the center of their lives. They don't realize it, but they're in a a mess, they're in a storm because Jesus has been replaced by the very things that have been given to them. Maybe it's a lifestyle choice that they just make a decision and they just get further and further away. They've sailed away so far, they don't even know that the rope is no longer attached. They're on their own, but they just don't know it. They're rock tetherers. And my third one that I think is, I mean, look at that. I'd like to have that house for a start. It's big. But look where it is. For the people who are listening to the podcast, there is now a picture of a fantastic house on a massively steep cliff. But the house is built on and into the rock. So you can be a, a rock hugger <laughs> in times of trouble, a rock clinger, or you can be a rock tetherer, or you can build on the rock. That was the way when the storms come, you are secure, you're in the right place, and you'd, you'd be able to deal with it. This is what the parable was talking about. Jesus was talking about this, telling us to build on him. Now, building is not easy. You're renovating, so you're not actually building, but even renovating is hard work, isn't it, Wes? It is very hard work. And it's hard work, but it's got to be intentional hard work and commitment. If you're going to build something on a rock, you have got to put in some hard work, some hard graft, and be um, intentional about it. Dave's already mentioned, he didn't know I was going to say this, but I neither mean him. But our kitchen extension all those years ago that um, he said that we refused to kind of do the backhand as the builder and God blessed us anyway. That extension was, had to have foundations, right? And we had a, a lovely family friend from uh, up in the Leicester, Nottingham area come to do it. So we instructed and we got people like Tony Lurie, strong men that were there digging these foundations out to keep it as cheap as possible for us. And then the builder man, the inspector man came along and went, oh, it's chalk, isn't it? Now you have to dig deeper. What? So they went, yes, we dug deeper. I don't know whether they ever found rock, but anyway, it was deep. He came back and said, yeah, that's deep enough. Do you know, the foundation of our house is less than the foundation for the extension because they've changed the law. And they said, now it has to be deeper. And it has to be, it has to be a, lot, a lot deeper than, than the house. So actually, we believe our extension is holding our house up, if anything happens. Because that's actually the deepest, strongest part of the house. Because it's deep down into the foundations are deep and they are, they are strong. And 
so it, building into Jesus, digging into Jesus, having Jesus as your rock. Let me just tell you, firstly, it can be hard work. It's not just going to happen by, huh, you know, oh, well, it, you know, yeah, I'm standing on Jesus. It, sometimes it requires commitment and hard work to do that. And also, building like that usually is more expensive than you realize. I love watching Grand Design. Anybody else like watching Grand Design? Okay, yeah. And um, especially when I'm stressed, because I'm often with these people, they set off to build these houses, and they set this budget, and they're going to do it in this time frame. Some of them set the most ridiculous time frames and put themselves under the most ridiculous stress. But then they're going to do it. And always, always, I'm not, I don't think I've ever seen one of those episodes where they haven't met trouble or that it's too, too rainy to put the foundations in or this disaster happens and whatever. And it always costs them more than they originally intended. Some people build the most ridiculous. This man had a, a house. It was, it was fantastic anyway. But then next door he bought a plot. I think it was in Brighton. And he was building the most audacious house you could ever see. And the stress of it all, because that he was in the building trade, when it all went, you know, we had that crash, he actually had a heart attack because of the stress it caused him. That man knew the cost of building a house. And sometimes when you build something like that, you don't actually realize how much it's going to cost you. And I just want to say that when you made a decision to follow Jesus... Those few minutes that you did it and you said yes, I want you to know that it's going to be hard work and it's going to be expensive to you because it's going to cost you everything to be built on that rock. See, it's quite easy to say, oh yeah, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive the fact that I'm going to have eternal life with you. I'm going to be saved from hell. That's great. I receive, I'm going to have a purpose in life. You're going to protect me. That's all great. But as Wes spoke about last week, becoming a Christian does not prevent you from having troubles in your life. You're all going to have troubles in our life. It's the rock on which you are built that determines how you face those troubles in our lives. And I think we need to be careful when we are witnessing to people and coming to that point of faith. I'm saying, you know, well, just pray this prayer and then Jesus will be your saviour and life will be great. Well, life will be great. But let's tell them about the cost. Let's tell them about the price. Let's tell them about the future hope. Let's tell them about the rewards. But don't sell them short on the fact that actually there are going to be some tough decisions to make. You're going to have to choose right instead of wrong. You have to turn your back on some of the dodgy dealings you're doing and walk in righteousness and light. And the blessing of that is immense. God will bless that. But it's not going to come cheap. If you're going to build on that rock like that, that house must have cost millions to get the stuff up there for a start, but the foundations that that needed to be on that rock must have cost an awful lot. But look at the view you get. It was worth it. So I think we need to be careful what we say to people when they become Christians. We need to tell them. I mean, you can say to them it's going to cost you, but hey, the alternative is you being a rock hugger or a rock tetherer. That's bad. 
It might be difficult to be a rock builder, but hey, that's the best future for you. That's guaranteed you uh, security for the future. You see, building involves embracing all Jesus is and all he says. Right? Building involves embracing all who he is and all that he says. In other words, another word we don't like talking about in church is the O word. Can we guess what that is? Obedience. Yes, we have to obey in all aspects of our life if we're going to be built on the rock. It's total commitment, not pick and mix. Oh, well, God, you're talking about this, and this truth I know has got to be in my life, but actually, I don't like that one. This one's easier and much better. I'll take that one. It's not a pick and mix thing. You can't build on a rock on pick and mix. To be securely fixed to the rock means him being the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord, the boss, the first and the last word means doing life his way and not your way. Now you think, oh my goodness, now you're talking, I think, I think I'm just going to resign being a Christian. I mean, that's, this is a bit odd. This is a bit negative. Um, it's not exciting. I've got to do what Jesus said. Yeah, but when you look at the person of Jesus and you look what he promises you if you follow him, apart from forgiveness and, and all of that sort of stuff, he's promised you in John 10.10, and the giants are going to be learning this, life in all its fullness. What's it not to like about life in all its fullness? And it's life in all his fullness, what he can see, what he decides is fullness. And I tell you what, his perspective and his knowledge and his understanding is far better and far more accurate than what I think I need and I want now. And I soak if I don't get it. Yeah? Life in all its fullness, what's there not to like about that? See, we've said many times before here that God has made us and he knows you and he knows and he's designed you and he knows what conditions you work best in. He knows what things in your life is going to make you flourish. He knows what things are going to strengthen you. He knows where he wants you to go because that's where you're going to achieve your best. That's where you're going to be more effective. He knows all of that because he's God. And so we need to trust him. To get the maximum out of life, we need to trust our creator. We need to dig into the rock called God. You see, being built on the rock means choosing God's way of thinking and behaving and living. That's where it becomes hard. It's not what I want to do or, God, that is very inconvenient. Everyone else at work fiddles their expenses like this, so I get away with it. Why can't I? Why can't you? Because you're built on the rock. And the rock says, you don't be dishonest. You are salt and you are light. You walk in the truth. No, you don't do that. It means putting into practice what Jesus teaches and tells you, like I said in the parable. It's not enough knowing what he says, but it's putting it into practice. So we need to put into practice forgiving others, generosity, making God central in our lives, making him the priority. Being honest and not putting up a front. Wes also mentioned that last week. Giving and tithing, putting God first in our finance. Do you know, there is a person who will remain nameless who is really up against it at the moment. And this person says to me, I am still going to give God my tithe despite, and I'm trusting it. And I 
bless that person because I know God is going to come through for them. And they're not like, well, actually, you know, I could, I could do with keeping that money to myself. Even if they're not here, they save it up and the, and the week they come, they pay their tithes because they are built on the rock. They know that if they put God first in their finance, God has got it covered. He's got it sorted. I don't, I don't hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but when they were leaving their flat to move into their house, their landlord was a, well, they reread the contract of the lease or whatever and the tenancy and they realised that they'd got four weeks extra to pay of the rent because it just where it fell. So they tried to say, oh, well, look, you know, can we just forget that? And she went, no. She gave you two weeks, did she? Three weeks. Bless her. Right? But Astrid was like, we can't afford that. We're paying our mortgage and we've got to pay our week's rent of that and whatever. And I said, Astrid, adopt a good attitude. That lady is being, well, three weeks. So she's not, she did move a bit, didn't she? She's not giving you what you want. Actually, you have a right attitude. God will give you that week. I said, I want you to count up all of the stuff, monetary-wise, that God's going to put into your hand that you weren't expecting, good deals or freebies or whatever. And so I said to the week, how's it going? She's off, I've, 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 I'm, not, I'm not counting anymore because it's just way exceeded that week's rent. I'm like, Yes! Because you're on the rock. You know, you could get cross at that lady. You could take her to court or you could do whatever or try and get it all back. No, no, no. Say, okay, God, we're built on you. You know that we think this is an injustice. We leave that on your desk for you to sort out. And actually then God said, good attitude. I'll give you the week, but I'll give you this. And I'll give you that. And I'll give you that. Better being on the rock. Living on the rock. Um, And... Putting into practice means doing what God challenges you to do. You know, he will always speak to us. He will always tell us that we've got to speak to that person or do this or, or step out a little more of that. We, if we are built on the rock and putting into practice what Jesus said, we need to face up to those challenges and do them. You see, in 1 John 2 verse 6, it says, We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God Not just by saying, I am intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. The NLT puts it this way. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Christ did. Or the NIV says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Wow. Wow. That's what being on the rock means. That's what means putting things into practice. His teaching into practice means. That is tough, isn't it? In other words, you can tell if someone is built on the rock, not by what they say, but by the way they live. Because knowing it and saying it is not being built on the rock. Doing it and putting into practice what Jesus says is being rooted on the rock. So let's, let's check ourselves. Are we living what we say we believe? Or are we just saying it because we know that's the truth, but we're not actually living it? Do you know, an amazing thing happens when your life is built on Jesus the rock. And here it is in Ephesians 3 verse 17. 
Paul says, I pray that Christ will be more and more, get this, at home in your hearts as you trust him. You become part of him and he becomes part of you when you are built on the rock. John 14 verse 23 says, Jesus replied, all those who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come to them and live with them. Or in the Passion Version, it says, we will make our dwelling place in them. So when we build our lives on Christ, we are in him and he is in us. I don't know of a safer place for your life to be. On the rock, in Christ, and Christ in you. That is the safest place for the whole of your life. That is the definition of guaranteed to be the safest place ever. And you know, I've been challenged recently as I've been away having a, a think. And I've been challenged about those people we connect with our community groups, those who come to faith, uh, those who get help, get their lives changed about. They start standing on the rock. And my challenge is, how do we get them, help them, encourage them to be digging into the rock? Because if we don't, they can become rock tetherers or rock clingers. And often when someone comes to faith, being on the rock means running your life and thinking your life different to the, what, you, what your, your culture has brought you up in, right? Whether that's swindling your benefits or whether that's uh, the language that comes out of your mouth or the way you treat your kids or the way you get angry at people or whatever. Often when people come to Christ, there is a culture clash because they've now come into the family of God. They've got a relationship with Jesus. They've been forgiven. But to be on the rock means to start to look at what Jesus teaches and put it into practice. And for some people, that is a massive, massive culture shock and a culture change. And my question is, church, how do we help such people? Because if we don't help them to dig into the rock... They are going to be rock tetherers and they're going to be rock clingers. And the worst thing about it is if they are any of those two, we could easily lose them. They could easily lose Jesus. And I don't think it's solely up to them. You know, for example, this is weird, but say you decided, you're not going to do this, you're going to be a Hindu, right? So you puddle off to the Gurdwara and you, you first... When do they meet? Saturday, Sunday? I don't care. I don't know. I'm not going to be one, am I? And you go there, and you're like, I'm going to be a Hindu. And they're like, oh, great. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, stay for dinner afterwards, because I normally have dinner afterwards. But nobody helps you. If nobody helped me understand what a Hindu believes, or how I should behave, or I've got to do this, but I haven't got to do that, I'm going to find that really, really hard. Because I'm trying to find, find my, my way. I'm trying to copy these people. I'm trying to whatever... Guys, I think of people, these empty seats, there are some people that have come to faith that aren't here. 
They've not been here for a while. Maybe they're clinging. Maybe they are tethered. But I'm saying, church, whose responsibility is it? And don't look at Dave and I or the leadership team. Yes, we are responsible at leading this church. Fine. But we can't do it all. We can't encourage everyone. We can't meet everyone for coffee. We can't take someone someone under our wing. I think it's a total church responsibility that when people come in and find salvation and they stand on the rock, it's a whole family commitment to stand with them, to pick them up when they fall, to get a shovel in their hands and say, hey, dig in that truth. Yeah, but I find it really difficult. Yeah, but I did that as well, but this is my experience. Dig in that truth. Because like when a baby comes into a, into a, a family... You don't just, well, I suppose there are some people that have this. You don't just leave them alone. So, like, Karis and Andrew are expecting another little boy in October. And they've already booked Dave and I in two weeks' time or so to go up there for about five days or so. Because, Mum and Dad, we've got to reshape the whole house. We're going to move the boys into there, the baby's going to go into there, the garage needs sorting out, the garden needs sorting out. Can you be changed all that tree needs to go? And suddenly, you know, Karis is in this nesting mode at the moment. Everything's got to be sorted out in the house because she's nesting. It's going to be coming in 12 weeks, you know. So we're going up there and we're going to help sort that out. And I'd imagine when the baby's born, the family up there and the family down here will be helping them out as much as possible because it's very difficult having a little baby in your home. Now, when a person becomes a Christian, they are a baby in the faith. And all I'm saying is, as we don't expect a baby to live on its own and work it out for itself and we need support from not only its parents but its extended family and friends, I'm saying baby Christians need more help. Who's going to give it them? Answer me that. Who's going to give it them? Yeah, try saying me if you're going to. Me. How can you help them? Well, you can speak to them, right? If you have never spoken to a... a, Look around the room. If you've never spoken to a a person here, you think, oh, I don't even know their name. Sort it in the coffee break at the end. Speak to them. Get to know them. Pray for them. Encourage them. Pray with them. They come on a Sunday and you say, okay, how were you said your week was, was pretty bad last week. We talked about that. How'd you go? Oh, it's still bad. Right, okay, let me pray with you now. Oh, why don't you pray for people? Spend time with them. Teach them how to know Jesus more. Teach them from your own example. Teach them what you've learned and how you've done it. And, and listen to them and answer their questions because they have some questions. We need to be their God Google. And I know we should teach them to ask God himself, but there are some practical things like, why do you stand up in whatever? What, what are those funny language those people speak in? It's not English, is it? You know, that's the Holy Spirit, by the way, if you didn't know. You know there are questions, loads of questions, because the culture is completely different. How is it you don't do this, but you do that? Why? We need to be God's Google. We need to be so close to them and have so much trust given to us by them that they're dare to ask the most silly questions to them.
If we don't help people more, to, they'll be clingers or there will be tetherers. But they need to be based on the rock, Christ Jesus. Um, so I, I, think, I think we need to start with the people that we've got, that we've seen come in. But I, I look and I say, God, if we, because I think God's saying, if we can't be faithful with the ones that he has given us, then he will not trust us with the ones that really need intensive care treatment when, when they get saved. The ones with massive addictions, the ones that are alcoholics or drug addicts or addicted to gambling or just so messed up, the ones that are you know, in danger of imprisonment or whatever. Those people, when they come in, we need to be able to be trusted by God to be able to say, right, they've found you, their feet are on the rock. We are going to get by them. We are going to help them. We're going to help them dig so their foundations is in Christ Jesus, not just in the nice family feel and the community that we create. And I'm not knocking that. We need that. We won't get anybody in if we didn't have that. But that's not going to bed them into the rock, is it? They have to have their own faith. They have to have their own relationship with God. And it needs to be solid. It needs to go down. It's hard work. And they need to put some effort into it. And they need us to help them to do that. I read a book some, I think it was a a year or so ago, about um, a man who, um, writing about doing church in an, an, an urban area like ours. Uh, areas of high deprivation and he said when a person comes in and gets saved in his church and finds Christ as their saviour they often because where he was living was really bad they often you say alright yeah great well, we'll, see, we'll see you next Sunday they go out the door they go home to their relationships which, and, and their house and their habits and their life that is contrary to what they've just decided to do and he says, unless we contact them the next morning, Monday morning, right, let's meet up for coffee. Okay, Tuesday we're going to do that. I'm going to ring you on Wednesday, whatever. Throughout the week until Sunday, they are going to drown in the stuff that they've just been rescued from because they don't know how to live in that situation. And I think, God, there are people on this estate that are in a mess like that I want this church to be trusted that they can come through the door or go out there and find them and get saved and we can be trusted to be family, to be standing with them, to bed them in the rock of Christ Jesus. You say that, I'm looking at the people who are going to do it. Who's going to be woken up at two in the morning because they're thinking of having another drink when they said they wouldn't? Who's going to take them out for coffee, invite them around for dinner, look after their kids when they're having to go to hospital appointments? Guys, we are. We are. We need to be that kind of church. So, yeah, that's what I've been challenged about. So, my application as I wrap up then, we've got four things that maybe we could apply to our lives about Jesus being the rock. Firstly, take a look what's under your feet. Is it water or is it rock? That will tell you whether you're a clinger or a tetherer. 
under your feet now is it rock, the rock Christ Jesus. Secondly, have you kept digging into that rock or have you let disobedience or life creep in and stop the process? When was the last time God asked you to drill deeper and apply a truth that he's revealed to you? Thirdly, what areas is God currently challenging you to walk in obedience in? And that you're not. Then if you are going to be, continue to be digging into the rock, we've said that you must be obedient to what God is saying. And finally, I just want to bring a challenge to us to say, why don't you ask God to put someone on your heart who needs to be encouraged to dig deeper into God? Maybe that person you have not seen. For, I know it's summer, so it's a bit of a weird time. But maybe there's somebody, do you know what? I haven't seen so-and-so for weeks. Well, if you haven't got their number, we have to be careful with GDPR. But, you know, Dave and I or Astrid would probably have their number. And we could easily say, do you mind if I give so-and-so your number or whatever? We could, get it. we could do it legally, but we've got to do it. Why don't you send them a text? Why don't you give them a call say, hey, I haven't seen you for ages. Let's meet for coffee. Want to know what's going on in your life. Want to tell you what's going on in my life. Because at least I know you care. And if they're a tetherer or they're a clinger and they've lost sight of the place of God in their lives, you could be the person that says, hey, you need to put this to God, you know. You need to, you need to talk to God about this. We love you. We've missed you. you. We need to come alongside you. And, and it does, that's all it can take sometimes is a person to say, hey, we've, we've missed you. I'm going to pray for you. Come to church Sunday. Get, I mean, when I say come to church Sunday, church isn't the be all and end all, right? It, Jesus didn't say that our foundation is the church. Right? He says he is the foundation of the church and he's the foundation of our life. So our lives must be founded in Jesus, not in a church service and not in a church community. Because if persecution came and that wiped all out, then you're in a mess. You're in a mess anyway because the only firm foundation is Jesus, the rock, not a church, not a group, not a community group, right? So we need people to be founded on Jesus. And you can just help them by getting alongside them and just reintroducing it. And I just think that's something that we need to take as, as a challenge, really. Ask God. Ask God to put somebody in your heart. Maybe it's a person that's not been missing, but you know that you haven't spoken to them or God's put you on their heart, and he's just saying, right, get alongside them. Ask them how, ask them how they're doing. Just get to know them. Share a bit of your story. Help them to dig deeper into you. Ask them how they're doing. Form a relationship. Make that bridge there so when they need to ask you for help, they've got them, got to start constructing it. It's, it's already there. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the rock. And we admit we are complete disaster and a liability without you. You are the only person that can be trusted. You are the only firm foundation for our lives. And we thank you that it costs you everything to make that possible. So God, 
As we're sitting in your presence today and as we've heard your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take whatever it is you need to take and apply it to our lives. Because the only sensible place to be is on the rock, Christ Jesus. You in me and me in you. And God, we just take the opportunity right now to pray for those people that are struggling at the moment. Those that haven't been to church for ages. Those that are losing sight of you or in a storm of their own or just taking the good stuff you've done in their lives and just walked off. God, we love them. You love them. Holy Spirit, you said in that song today as we sung, you, you are fierce and you are tenacious. Please go after them. Not, not to tell them off and not to devour them and not to whatever, but go after them with your love that is so fierce. Holy Spirit, remind them of their relationship with you. Remind them of who you are, what you've done for them, and bring them back to a place where they can be standing on the rock, Christ Jesus. In your name we ask it. Amen.